Hi everyone, welcome to the In The Frame podcast. I'm Luke and today I'm with Nick Dance, a cinematography responsible shows like Skins, Hold Up, Gentleman Jack and Deep State. Hi Nick, how you doing? Hi there, yeah great, thanks. How have you been during lockdown? Yeah, pretty good actually. Uh, we've sort of been doing lots of stuff. I mean, luckily where we live is country, so uh, we're sort of quite secure. Uh, but I'm looking forward to stopping DIY and getting back to work. Uh, and I've been doing some um, some work from home actually. It's building up now because we're starting to go back you know, uh, about a month's time to start filming again. But um, uh, so yeah, so it's a bit of mix, a bit of a mix of home stuff and work. It's been mm, quite we, good actually. Yeah, we talked to a couple. We talked to a director uh, last week, or like a couple weeks back, uh, called Lewis Arnold. He did um, uh, Humans and Broadchurch, and he's been working on post-production on his show during lockdown. And yeah, so it's yeah. good for that kind of just the offline, more post-production side of things. Well, that's it. And you know, we've been doing this week. I've been doing grading online from home on iPad Pros. Uh, mm. You know, with a a colorist sitting in a lonely suite in Soho. So um, that's, but that's been, it's been quite good. Not quite the same as being in the room, but it's, it's pretty good actually, the, the, the hookup they've got. So, you know, for, for a cinematographer, that's quite good because we can, don't often able to get into the grading side of things because we're on location. So this sort of technology now is, uh, will, will be great for that. Uh, so possibly we won't need to go into those, uh, uh, sort of studios anymore in a way but yeah, um yeah. yeah so uh, yeah. and so today i'm i'm going to be talking to you about your journey and becoming a cinematographer uh if you're watching uh please remember to subscribe uh like below and then follow us on facebook and instagram okay so nick how did you start out as a cinematographer well as a sort of teenager i sort of got hold of my father's eight millimeter camera he wasn't really doing a great job filming so um i sort of took hold of that and took over it really i mean i sort of was interested in photography and sort of theater and drama at school and stuff like that writing plays and performing that sort of stuff so um so i got a hold of this camera uh, and uh, made us actually a sound short film which was quite a thing in those days because mm. eight millimeters generally a, a silent format really uh, so it's a bit ahead of its time in that respect. Uh, and oddly enough, it was a documentary rather than a drama production. Um, and uh, that was entered into a BBC competition and I won first prize. And uh, the prize was a three-day session with a full BBC 16mm film crew, which was all very exciting, with me directing. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, a little help from a, a very good cameraman uh, at that time, Arthur Smith and uh, a sort of producer from the BBC. So, I mean, that was very exciting for a 15-year-old and I think that clinched the sort of deal for me that I wanted, that's what I wanted to go into film and TV. Um, and so uh, that film was made and that short film that I made for the BBC was shown on uh, the show, uh, I think I was about 16. And then, um, so, that's you know i decided i sort of wanted to act at one point but i think um the, the actual behind the camera got the better of me and probably was slightly more um uh, a better way to go uh than uh, i mean freelancing in any way is quite a precarious career uh mm. working for yourself but i think for an actor it's even worse in that respect but I didn't really think about that, but I just was hooked by being behind the camera, I guess, and you know, being a sort of photographer and uh, eight millimeter filmmaker. That's that's what I wanted to do. So the sort of sixth form was look checking out. Um, I mean, in those days, the career people at school didn't really know anything about film and TV. They sort of wanted you to be a. I wasn't brilliant academically, but you know, they were trying to push you into. I don't know, to go into a bank or maybe an accountant or something, which, but they didn't really know anything. They didn't know. So I did really my own research into film schools. And there were very few in those days. I mean, there was a national Bournemouth. Um, I applied to a couple, including Farnham. So there was probably, you know, now we have many universities doing media courses, but I think there was probably less than half a dozen in those days um, and uh, I got into Farnham uh, West Surrey College of Art and Design which is now the University for the Creative Arts um, and uh, basically on my portfolio really I mean as academically it was okay uh, probably these days I wouldn't have got in just 
on academics, but you know, I had a good portfolio. I had my eight millimeter films, I had photography, you know, so that was the sort of time when they looked at that as well as, you know, qualifications really, and, and the sort of talent, I guess. So I did three years there and was able then to use professional movie equipment, 16 millimeter cameras, 35 mil cameras, because it was all film. Mm. Um, so we had a pick sync to, to watch art, which is a sort of hand wound, or seems quite ancient now, I guess, but a hand wound equipment to watch the film as well as Steenbeck, which is a 16 millimeter way of playing a film onto a sort of a, almost like a, well, it's not a computer screen, but it's that mm. sort of size. It's a physical thing, mechanical thing. Uh, it was just the early days of video coming in at, the, at that point, which was a thing called Umatic, which was very low quality and video camera that you couldn't point at the sky because it just went completely bananas. Mm. So you had to frame everything <laughs> sort of without any sky, which is completely unnatural. So that was early video. But yeah, so um, that was gaming experience on, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I left Farnham. Yeah, we made our films and we made our final films and stuff, uh, which actually I did, a, made a drama production. Mm. Um, but actually really, the, my first job in the industry was basically as a camera assistant. So I'd learned how to load cameras at college. It wasn't really anything about a qualification or, you know, wanted to see my film. Um, it was really practical. You know, could I load this camera, which is my first job, and I knew how to do that. And so um, that's how I got my first. Well, really, actually, I got my first job is in, in the BBC cutting rooms because uh, that was just the way in. One of my tutors uh, had a contact there in BBC Birmingham, mm. and so I did. The last year, I did um, between years two and three. I did uh, this session in the cutting rooms and then that Christmas. So basically during the holidays, I've, I've gone into the cutting room and the BBC said, okay, uh, we'll give you a couple of weeks, see how you get on. And then if we like you, you know, we'll, we'll ask you to stay. And they did. Um, so when I left, in fact, actually I finished my film uh, at Farnham, uh, sorry, my Farnham film at the BBC, I cut it there and also it was dubbed there. Uh, and then um, uh, they offered me a, a sort of job there, freelance. Uh, I, could have, I could have taken a full-time job, but really I wanted to be in the camera side. I think mm. editing is great and I really enjoyed you know, being in the cutting room um, because everyone should, I think everyone involved with filmmaking should do some editing because that's where you see where things work or don't work. Same with... Um, if you make up wardrobe, you know, why or sound, why do we have to do these various things? You know, so I think it's vitally important for and people today can do that quite easily now on their laptops. But mm. uh, in those days, it was trickier on film. You know, and also to make short films on, we we're on film, it was very expensive. So, mm. you know, we didn't have the opportunity to make, everyone didn't have an opportunity like they have now with YouTube or, you know, you can make it on shoot with your phone. So, um, through the BBC, I got a contact, a guy who was a cameraman who was leaving the BBC, and then I joined him as a freelance camera assistant with him. So it was um, sort of hit the ground running. Uh, and, you know, you make the odd mistake, like forgetting the changing bag for loading the film. Mm. You leave that at home, which is pretty bad because you only have three rolls of film to load or three magazines. So you end up in sort of airing cupboards <laughs> trying to load this film. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you make those sort of... Uh, you get away, I got away with it. And um, luckily, the guy I worked with was quite difficult, actually, and he upset quite a few directors and producers. And he'd give me the opportunity to shoot some stuff when he was sort of a bit pissed off with them. So eventually, they came to me and said, look, Nick, we don't want this guy to do it. You know, you've done some great shots for us. Uh, so he sort of stitched himself up in as much as... Um, you know, he was quite difficult. So mm. I then got the opportunity to shoot uh, full time as a sort of cameraman. So mm. I only really was a camera assistant for two or three years and an editing assistant for a year or so. Um, and I was able as sort of early 20s, probably 23 or four, to start shooting full time on 16 millimeter documentaries. So mm. though my interest was sort of in drama, actually, um, 
the way through um, the way through into f- camera work, if you like, was was documentary. Mm. Um, so um, that was sort of the way I did it in, in that respect. Got into, f- but I mean, you know, I don't regret that. It was a fantastic opportunity because as a twenty thirty year old to be paid and paid to work and to travel. You know, mm. I traveled to 60 odd countries. I was always abroad. Um, and in those days, we sort of had more time to uh, do things. The schedules were better. And also, we had a bit more time off on location. So, you know, mm. you could do all those fun things as well as, I mean, the, it was an amazing experience because you're meeting people that you would never meet if you went on holiday or just mm. as a holiday trip to somewhere. So, you're getting to people's lives and homes. So, it's incredible experience sort of i mean the very first major documentaries i flew with the red arrows which was incredible flying from the uk uh-huh. to uh, the us across into iceland greenland across the um ice flows into greenland extraordinary uh, just you know mm-hmm. flying in those airplanes not on you know th- they couldn't take passengers on a on a display <laughs> <laughs> that's not allowed but you know just to, as a transit runs you you know, because that aircraft has two seats, so it's a mm. training aircraft. So I sat in the back. So, and we just shot that on those small. We didn't have GoPros or anything. It was sort of small, sixteen millimeter Bolex type cameras mm. or Canon Scupic. Um, I remember, um, and uh, we shot in then in the states. So incredible for sort of a kid of twenty, twenty two, twenty three, to do these things. So I mm. mean, that's really it. How I got into. Uh, document into being a cinematographer and then eventually after sort of doing that for sort of 15 18 years I'd sort of mixed it actually my documentary work I sort of mixed it with some sort of drama stuff as well some children's drama to sort of weigh into to drama production so uh, around about beginning of 2000 that's when I sort of went into drama full-time and I've been pretty much doing that ever since uh, so including again also drama documentary which I I mean I still like documentary I don't really do documentaries anymore but drama documentary was great because again it's sort of usually a bit of history uh, and um, mixed with you know factual history mixed with sort of reconstruction mm. so that was great we did some some great shows BAFTA winning one about uh, Hermann Goering and the Nuremberg Trials, which was a feature documentary drama, um, and uh, one called Space Odyssey, where mm. we did a sort of do- documentary about a voyage through the universe. Um, we filmed in places like Chile, Atacama Desert, for Venus and Mars. We went to Russia. We did the parabolic flights, weightless flights, which is an absolute, you know very few people get to do that, where you you know you're weightless for thirty seconds. Mm at a time so i mean yeah if i didn't do anything else <laughs> that would in my life that would be amazing but uh, mm. then moved on to drama and that was all sort of more uk based um and uh, you know we were sort of also moving into digital technology slightly by then we had hd video or digital came along in the sort of early 2000s but it was still mainly 16 35 mil up until around about Actually, when I did Skins, it was about 2007. Mm. Uh, that was from then on, pretty much went completely sort of for HD. Um, mm. But that's the sort of story till now, really. Um, on that, uh, how to become a cinematographer. <laughs> I mean, it's tricky because you know, there's no one way. I mean, it's not like, like I said earlier, it's not like going into a bank or um, yeah. you know, being an accountant that there's a, a way to do it, uh, but mm. with filmmaking you know everyone has their own experience i can only say how i did it but you know you it's <laughs> the end of the day it's just sort of uh, tenacity and just trying to find a way in mm, yeah, uh, wherever you can a, a sort of slightly open door you can sort of put your foot in mm. <laughs> and uh, you know get in there but uh, uh so yeah that sort of uh, i guess moves on to um well obviously well, we wanted yeah. to um, ask you ask you first before I move into uh, what makes being working in TV different to working in film um, was uh, your your history of starting off with um, fi- using practical film rather than just going straight yeah. to digital. 
-hmm. is so fascinating, especially for people like me who've never used film, who've only been able to use digital for, for our lives. Um, do you think, I remember hearing stories from my dad, and which, which you know, and, um, and, um, and from everyone else who's worked with film that it's, it builds up a really good discipline of having the sh picking out the right shots because back then you'd only have to have, you don't have a certain amount of minutes per film. You have to really yep. think about it and such. And I think some of that discipline has been lost uh, in, more, in more recent generations of filmmaking. And so uh, what do you think, you, from your beginnings of using film, um, what, what techniques have you brought over from using film into now that you're using digital? Well, I think you're absolutely right with the discipline. And funny enough, I just did a documentary about Glastonbury in 1992, funny enough, and the Telegraph have just done an article. The reporter called me and I said, this is, you know, you must be quite desperate for, for uh, stories here. You know, obviously they are because it's, there's no Glastonbury this year. There wasn't any this year. Um, but he was at Glastonbury in 92 and we made this doc I made this documentary for Channel 4, uh, sort of about the Pilton village and the mm -hmm. festival. And one of his questions he said was, um, you know, how much did uh, fall on the cutting room floor? And I say, actually, virtually nothing, because we shot that on film. Mm. And in those days, it was 120 quid a roll for film. When we shot documentaries, a lot of it was available light, which was quite tricky because it was the film stock was very slow, 100 to 200 ASA. Now we've got a thousand plus ISO, so that was quite tricky. But it was just really dis absolutely discipline. You know, you would mm. not run an interview completely. You might run sound first and then you'd run the film. When people warm up, you'd only shoot when something was happening. And then, you know, in those cases, we'd go down to Pilton, Glastonbury, and nothing might be happening that day. You know, this is the lead up to the first festival, not the festival. Obviously, there was a lot. We did the lead up to the festival as well. Sometimes, you know, there, nothing was happening. So we'd go down to the pub and have a chat and see what we may be doing tomorrow, which that would never happen now. But, you know, so we wouldn't shoot for the sake of it. We wouldn't mm. shoot our contributors because that also wears people out as well, just to shoot anything that you know, they're doing. And this is not really interesting. You know, you know, when you're something's happening, you start to turn over the film, you know, film camera as a camera person, you're listening all the time as well to what's going on. So, you know, you're sort of cutting it as well as shooting it as well, you know, mm -hmm. in, in your head. But ultimately, yeah, we had to be, I mean, there's something about being restrained by that, I think, because as I say, you just shoot what you want. I mean, when I, one reason for getting out of uh, documentaries towards the end was I was doing sort of docu-soaps were coming in and you were just, you know, the directors or producers were just saying at the end of the day, well, how many tapes? how many tapes have we shot? Well, it wasn't about the t how many tapes because you might have 10 tapes with crap mm. on there. <laughs> you might have one tape which has got amazing footage. Mm. And also what I find is also the shots distill. You don't think about, rather than having 10 average shots, you know, where you maybe just hose pipe the camera or something, you know, mm. with film you get two brilliant shots, you know, because you wait for the light. So mm. the whole... Uh, creative aspect I think changes with digital you know because oh yeah it's cheap you know we can shoot um, we can keep the camera running we can you know just wait or we can shoot anything it, it, it's it, it, you do lose focus I think mm -hmm. that's and to a certain extent that's coming into drama to a, to a little bit I mean with drama it's, it's and I try to shoot traditionally and they're still in a film sense whereby you set everything up. We still use clapperboards that focuses people's mind. Mm. Um, still that sort of faint noise of film running through a camera even focuses your mind even more because, you know, it's, it's precious. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think if, if you're shooting digital, um, I mean, the other thing for cinematographer with film, you had the anxiety mm. of the processing. So you sort of wake up at six in the morning because the labs would process your film overnight and you'd get wait for the call from the lab or you'd call the lab and find out if it had, you know, was there scratches, hairs in gates, were there, you know, was it in focus? Mm. Uh, that's been taken away, obviously, with digital because pretty much what you see, well, what you see when you're shooting is what you're going to get. Mm. Uh, so that anxiety, I, I don't miss that. But... Uh, you know, it's still, um, I think if you can retain the discipline with shooting digital, then that's the way to go. And 
so when I shoot digital, I'm still thinking in sort of film, filmic terms anyway. Mm. So I'm still composing as I would in, if it's a film camera. Mm. I'm lighting, yes, yeah, slightly differently because the film stock and the digital work slightly differently the way they absorb lights. But I'm still looking at, you know, looking at a script and what's the mood for that scene? You know, what's the emotion with the actors or wherever you are? So you're still putting that emotion into a digital image mm. as you would film. So I'm not lighting. The principle of lighting is the same. Um, it's just slightly adjusted for the technical. Uh, when digital came in, originally uh, it was very, very uh, low dynamic range. Mm. So you had a very small window. So it did restrict how you could light. There's a tendency to make everything quite flat because it wouldn't take big contrast digital now actually i admit uh, you know digital cameras have overtaken the dynamic range of film um but i still think i don't know i mean i think being from film background you still think film has got a, a softer look mm. i mean i've just been doing a this shoot i've been in this shoot for netflix we shoot everything 4k because that's what it has to be for netflix that's what they sell it for but you know, you do end up trying to, for a cinematographer, 4K actually is quite difficult because for actors often, especially female actors, they don't want to see all that stuff on their face if it's there or people, you know, actors change like we all do day to day. We all, you know, our faces change. Uh, so all those imperfections have now have to be taken out digitally. Mm -hmm. uh, plus also when I'm shooting, you know, we're trying to do, make it softer, soft lighting, not flat lighting, but soft lighting with contrast, using filters. A lot of old lenses now have, been, have come back into use. You can't get them now They're because people are wanting to use them because it's too sharp. Digital can mm -hmm. be too sharp. I think great for wildlife, fantastic, because you want to see all that detail on a bird or whatever it is. Great for sport, but I think some documentary, definitely. But for what I do, especially period drama, you just really don't want to see that, you know, warts and all on people's mm. faces. So a lot of money is spent actually taking it away, that mm. definition. So um, that's also an issue with digital. But, uh, you know, you, you have to move on. And I think uh, the new cameras are amazing. I think everything is quite uh, clinical now with digital, I think, you know. But uh, we sort of got used to sort of the odd scratch or this, that, and the other, or the film jumped slightly. It's like going to the cinema, you know, it was, you had a certain movement of the film. Um, but with digital now, it's absolutely, I mean, people are used to it. So, yeah. you know, I think you have to go with that. But certainly uh, it, the way of shooting, I shoot exactly the same as I did Amazing. with film as far as the, the discipline, the way it's done. You know, a lot of, I find some American directors want to keep the camera running between takes and they'll run in and talk to the actors. They say, no, no, I, I, you know, it'll only take a few seconds. Five minutes goes by and you're running this camera with just shit, really. I always cut. I said, no, look, we're going to cut because, yeah, digital is supposed to be cheap, but somebody's got to download all this stuff. Mm. <laughs> you know, someone's, oh, you know, and it's getting hard. I mean, now we're shooting possibly 6 or 8K. So yeah. the information there. So there's, so in some ways also, I think if you reduce your shooting ratio, you can shoot film cheaper now than you can digitally mm -hmm. because you've got lots. I mean, for instance, we only had one roll of negative film. Now we have to have protection copies, half a dozen, you know, mm -hmm. the, the digital copies have to go into safes. And I said, well, look, we only ever had one roll of film. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's got quite, you know, it's quite expensive. It's not, people think film is expensive, but actually, I, I think if you're disciplined and you just shoot what you want on film, you can mm. make it cheaper. Yeah, and it, I think it would look a little bit better. Mm. I edited, um, uh, I do some editing uh, documentaries for, for PIP and for OCD. Uh, and um, the, uh, this is the hard drive of a couple of, um, oh, yeah. a couple of um, feature films we did. And they'd be surprised how much actually ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, yes, especially on the, especially on the longer one because they were just interviews we didn't end up using and there were just moments we didn't end up using, and right. it's just always really interesting of like 
you just want to capture things and then yeah and then because you never know what's going to be useful and what's not going to be useful um but that's one of the um, benefits of having digital um but then also yeah. it's the downfall when it comes to that whole there's now a hard drive full of stuff that isn't being used um, well, that's right. I mean, the, I found like there was 150 tape. This was tape in those days. Mm. The editor would call up and said, oh, you didn't get a shot of the horse's head. I said, look, tape 143 has mm. got the shot of the horse's head. Oh, he said, oh, we don't have time to look at all that stuff. <laughs> so it's sort of information. It's sort of like digital overload now, isn't it? Yeah. What we have, um, getting the message from the noise. Uh, is the problem i think so yeah it's great to have all that stuff but you also need more time it's like editing I mean, we, yeah with film when you actually physically which is where i started cutting film physically bits of film you stick it together with sellotape basically mm-hmm. you know you had to make a decision quite quickly because if you you can't keep cutting that all up because you end up with just bit, you know bits of frames everywhere mm. then you have to reorder the shot again so you know Made, so now we have Avid or whatever, and we, we everybody can have their version. You know, some shows you have twenty odd versions because the executive producer has their version. You know, the director has their version, and, and it's trying to then get everyone to make a decision. So in some ways, it, like I say, it's not actually quicker sometimes digital. But I mean, I understand. I think, yeah, you can run an interview and it's length. Whereas film, as I say, we just ran the sound and then when it warmed up, we shot the picture. Mm. Uh, so you can do that. I, I think it's just, I did find also that, um, I think with documentaries, people had more of a plan of what they wanted. But, you know, documentaries, you sometimes change. You know, they, as you shoot it, you, you, can't, you can have a treatment, but a script for a documentary, I, mean, I was given a script once for a documentary the first day I turned up and it was mm. sort of that big. And I said to the director, well, I can, I'm not, you know, I'm a fairly quick reader. Um, when do you want to start shooting? You know, and I can read the script, <laughs> but it might take a couple of hours. Oh, I see. But that was, a, you know, I'd never actually been given a script like that for a documentary because, mm. uh, yeah, treatment, because as I say, things do change. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, the flexible of digital, I think, is, is useful. I think if you can keep discipline and flexibility and you know somewhere compromise in between then you know i think uh, that's the way to go and i think Definitely. when you start something you've got an idea of even if it doesn't go that way on a documentary you know if it goes off piste at least you have a sort of a plan in your mind or a, mm. not a script but you know some some guide you can you, know, you rather than just sort of shoot aimlessly i guess mm. yeah and so skipping forwards into yeah. now career into drama, uh, you've worked on so- shows such as Skins, Poldark, Gentleman Jack and, and Deep State, as well as a myriad of other ones and some that you're currently working on now. Um, what's interesting is like Skins was, Skin was a show that went on for many, many years and was, and was shot on Channel 4, Poldark's BBC, Gentleman Jack's HBO and then Deep State's Fox. And so I'm, I'm really interested in like, how does your style and how does the different approach come from different companies? Like is Channel 4's wants different to HBO's? And how do you deal with different different directors and different 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 working styles as a as a TV cinematographer? Yeah. And I don't really think about the companies, you know, mm. it's Channel 4, HBO, BBC or whatever. I mean, you read the scripts, that's what gives you the inspiration. Always mm. number one for any drama is first of all the script, then performance then what we do really you know i think what we do should never overtake i mean i quite like because i come from documentaries sort of naturalistic approach to things uh so i don't go in for sort of grandstand photography yeah i do some nice stuff i admit myself but you know uh, it has to be complementary to what you're doing as soon as you go off piece then you're making your own film and that's yeah. not why you've been hired so first of all i mean it doesn't really matter for me the channel is it's really all about yeah the projects uh, if you're interested in the projects uh then comes along you know who's making them you know who the directors and producers are uh, and that can make a difference i mean i've got more choice of that now funny enough because of course we've got when i started in tv there was three channels mm-hmm. that was it we had three channels <laughs> so there's a lot of people fighting over very little work uh, we also had corporate videos and commercials to a certain extent but there was not the choice really now we have 
you know, as a freelance in those days, you just took what you could. There was no question about who's directing it. You just, you know, I, I work with people who, if you can work with them, you can work with anyone, you know. So you, you just took the work. There's no question about <laughs> Even the script, you know, you wouldn't even, when it was crap script, you'd still do it because it was work. Mm. Um, now, over the last 10 years, we've the, there's been such an increase in, production in the uk and of course now we don't just have bbc itv yeah we have channel four but it's been there for a while but we have at hbo we have all the streamers apple now coming along you know amazon and netflix mm -hmm. so that's opened the doors and sort of for me it's enabled me to pick and choose a little bit more which you know never really had the opportunity to do that so uh, mm -hmm. but um i mean things like skins i mean i work for that the company that made that and i've made a couple of other programs for them and um the producer just approached me and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I, I didn't, I, I don't think anyone knew what it was going to be, uh, mm -hmm. the success it would be at that time. We knew it was something different. Um, but, uh, you know, and it turned out to be, and I think it was very brave. They changed the actors every two years. So mm -hmm. it was great to be there um, uh, first up. Uh, and I got, you know, it won quite a few awards and I got BAFTA nominations and stuff for that. So, uh, and I think actually funny if also, I mean, I s was shot season one to five. So I was there for virtually five years. Mm. Uh, and that was just over also when we had the uh, financial crash. So actually, though wow. it turned out to be a great series and great fun mm. to work on and also to meet a lot of directors because mm. there's so many directors coming in and out experienced ones or new directors. So for a DOP, that's good to meet directors because they're ultimately the people who will hire you. Um, skins actually I was hired by the producer who wanted continuity of the look mm. over the seasons. Um, but um, also, you know, also actually it was great over a, what was a very, very tight period for people. Mm in the industry to actually have that sort of six months work <laughs> every year. So that was not necessarily the drive, well, the driving factor, but it was also great to, um, you know, to, to be involved with the show. So, uh, you know, we found it was sort of exciting. And then um, the great thing, I mean, it's like, then you go on to Poldark or you do a, a period drama, uh, Poldark Gentleman Jack. It's just great to have, you know, you're not stuck in a genre. You know, it's just fantastic to be able to move across genres. And I think, you know, some people say, oh, have you done, you know, when you do your first period drama, have you done period drama? Well, actually, you have to start somewhere. Plus also what we do is not, not really different between, you know, we're still lighting in a particular way. We're you know, obviously period drama. Yes, pulled up, there's no electricity. So, you know, you just, but, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, my, uh, I or my way of working a bit like sort of uh, comes from naturalism. Mm. So, you know, if I'm shooting skins, I'll say, well, there's a window. Mm. You, know, you put the actors perhaps to the side of the window so you get modeling. You know, pole dark will do the same. There's the window, mm. that's the natural light. Um, so you sort of yeah, adapt to it. Um, but I wouldn't say, the way I'm shooting, I mean, Deep State was all handheld. A lot of skins was, uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, again, documentary background for that sort of thing helped. So you're shooting it in a sort of documentary style. So you use your documentary skills there. Um, and I think actually moving from documentary to drama was quite tricky because a lot of the drama producers thought, oh, you're not disciplined to do drama. You know, it's very mm -hmm. much more disciplined than documentary as much as which is nonsense really because in documentary sometimes you were sent off to shoot an event and if you you know fucked it up uh you know one-off event then what's good is that you know you've not got anything whereas a, a drama yeah you can reshoot but of course there's a lot more at stake in some ways the drama because you, you've got very expensive actors sometimes and mm -hmm. the setups can be especially with period drama it sort of can be very expensive setups so there's a different pressure with documentary and drama, I don't think, but you know, I don't think either is more important or better than another. But you know, at that point, producers, when I tried to move across, said, "Oh no, I don't, you know." It's, but actually, now they quite like 
the documentary influence because we're quite quick. You know, with documentaries, you never had records. Mm-hmm. Uh, drama, you generally have records, but sometimes the schedule changes and the weather changes. So, oh, can we just go out there and shoot? Mm-hmm. So, it's not a big deal because, you know, I like that excitement you get from the, just the moment, really. You know, the, um, uh, the sort of unplanned actually is quite exciting, I find. You know, so, mm-hmm. But I, I work quite instinctively. Yeah, you get all your prep you have prep periods and you get all your equipment together and lighting or whatever but you know always something will change on the day you know an actor won't move where you think they're going to move or yeah. you know and i don't like to manipulate quite keep it naturalistic i mean for skins for instance you know a lot of the all the kids most of them apart from nick holt had obviously done stuff before but most mm. of them uh, were straight out of school never been on a camera before so mm. you know to get the naturalism and to get them you had to let them have freedom. You know, I don't like to clutter the set with tons of lighting equipment. You know, I like to keep it quite free from that point of view. So mm-hmm. you can get a sort of good naturalistic performance because whatever we do, like I say, the end of the day, the script and the performance is the two main important things. You can have a beautifully shot film with, you know, crap script and performance. Um, for me, that's, I'm not interested in that. So um, that's sort of where I come from. So, yeah, to answer the questions, they're all very different. It's great to have the mm. opportunity to shoot all those genres. Mm. Uh, and you're just bringing a little bit of experience from, you know, your work, documentary, or whether it was kids' drama or whatever it was and, you know, that you'd been through, travel as well into all these projects. So, um, mm. yeah, it's uh, and directors, um, you know, I work particularly with the director. I've worked on f- quite a few shows. Um, which is great we get on very well it's we do our prep work but on the set we just get on with our own thing we know what each other likes and doesn't like so it's you know these days the schedules are manic so you don't have all that business you hear people arguing you know dops and directors it's a waste of time you know you, mm. you've got to be on the same wavelength because uh, mm. it's not good for anybody if that so we just it's sort of uh, second nature I guess with us so mm. I like working with him particularly um, but you know there's other directors who I've worked with who I'd want to work with again um, but um, so yeah uh, it's and you want to have a bit of fun as well you know it's not all about I mean it's long days and we can talk mm. about that oh, yeah. a bit later when um, to give advice but um, they are long days so you know have to have a bit of fun as well otherwise it's what's the point <laughs> yeah <laughs> And so that's amazing. And it's really good to hear how you how how you take things from your past experiences and move them forwards and the different yeah. different styles and how you how you treat different shows. Um, yeah, yeah. What what do you see going forwards into the industry um, with like the uprising of streaming and and just things starting to change for TV as it becomes more and more more high high drama as it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean. Funny, a lot of my work has been in TV, and I think I had one at one point. You know, I mean, I've made a couple of low-budget films, mm-hmm. features, and stuff like that. Um, and actually, when you're shooting a feature, when I first did some second unit on a feature back in the '90s, I think it was, uh, because you sort of think this is this great untouchable thing. You know, oh God, I only do TV, um, and it's, di- it's going to be so different. But actually, it's not. It's exactly the same. So, mm-hmm. feature film you might have a bit more money you might you'll have more time definitely often although these days now of course and of course film people 10 years ago were very snobbish you know they wouldn't mm. want to do tv for instance and actors a lot of actors wouldn't want to do tv of course now it's gone completely upside down because everyone wants to do tv because actually a lot of budgets for tv shows now with netflix and amazon are much much bigger than a lot of films, feature films. Mm. And if a production company gets a run of 13 episodes, you know, they'll get a bigger chunk of money than they will do in one film. Mm. So, and it's guaranteed money. You know, a, a TV show, you get X amount of money to make the film. And you, with, with a film, you might get X amount of money, but then you also want, you know, you're waiting then possibly for profits from the box office, which may, may never happen. So you can actually, it's more of a loss in, in movie making now. So, um, so I think uh, 
as we know now, TV shows, uh, and you can make, you know, if you've got a, a say a book you want to make a f- uh, film about, you're very limited. Uh, whereas a TV show, you can, you know, it's many, many episodes or series. So you can make it really work closer to what was originally written. Um, so I think interesting now with COVID, with uh, seeing more movies being released online. Um, I mean, I, I hope cinemas won't. I think cinemas will stay for maybe the big, you know, blockbuster movies. Mm. Uh, sort of 3D didn't sort of take off really, but you know, for maybe IMAX or bigger experiences where people, you know, and let's face it, you know, we've had three months or four months at home. You know, we, you know, I think we've seen enough of our houses. It's nice to actually mm. get out to go to the cinema. So yeah. I hope cinema will continue and films will continue but i think a lot of the smaller budget films will be released on uh, online as they're starting to be now uh and uh, so i think what i wonder is how many if how many more channels we could have and who would survive really i mean we've got i think you know a lot of competition now with amazon netflix uh, apple uh, mm-hmm. peacock which is nbc coming along HBO and all those many channels. Um, so it'd be interesting to see who, if there are any casualties, because mm. there's only in, as much TV we can watch. So uh, I think hopefully the budgets will stay good. Um, hopefully the content, you know, there'll be some good content out there. Um, mm. And for me, working in TV, you know, it's great to have the opportunity to have bigger budgets. Uh, and to have more kit, perhaps. It's not, not always better to have more money. You don't need, necessarily need a big budget. You know, you hear of what riles me really is hearing people who've had a big budget and yet the product at the end isn't worthy of it. You know, mm-hmm. or you, you see so much money's been wasted, mm-hmm. you know. And it's great, actually, coming from low budget, it's great because you put everything, every bit of penny onto the screen. Every penny goes on the screen, you know, you don't waste it. And that's the, my, still my attitude in a way. So, you know, you're trying to make the best of what you've got budget-wise and mm. what the TV, what Americans have brought, the American channels, you know, have brought money, you know, at the end of the day, they've brought money, more money to television. So it's expanded wildly in two or three years. Uh, hopefully it'll continue. Obviously we've had this glitch. Uh, I think once we get over the glitch, it's going to be busy again. Uh, but I think people who have just come into the industry when it's the last two or three years, and it's been a great opportunity for uh, newcomers. Uh, you know, there's, yes, there's more, you know, when I was at college, college or university, mm. we had very little, there were fewer colleges, there were fewer opportunities when you left. Now there's more universities doing media courses, but there's more opportunity in that respect. So mm. it's... Um, uh, so I think it's exciting. I think it's, you know, it's for, for um, people coming into the industry. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I think they've had a bit of a shock, the fact that something like this could happen. And mm. it sort of takes me back to the years when it was a freelance, and I've always been freelance, never worked for anyone full time. Um, you know, you might not work for six months. You know, you, you, we, we never usually worked in the UK between November and April, something like that, because no one wanted to film in the winter. Mm. So, and it was just, like I say, it was, so hopefully there'll be more constant work for people. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not an easy being a freelancer, um, but it's certainly, I think, um, I hope it will continue once, you know, we get COVID sorted. Mm. But yeah, and I think, you know, it's, I think there'll be a lot of, there's already a mix, whereas film and television, feature films, TV were absolutely separate, like I said, um, never the twain met. Now it's all very integrated. Mm. The equipment we use is the same, whether you're shooting Star Wars or, you know, a, a little TV series or something, a children's series, you know, same with commercials. So we're using the same equipment, the people, are all moving around which is great you know it's not mm. sort of a closed shop anymore so um and continue yeah yeah well thank you so much for uh coming with coming on the podcast today okay. um i the final question then for you 
Uh, so you, what advice would you give for aspiring cinematographers? Uh, there will be a lot of young filmmakers trying who want to who want to learn their craft and break into the industry. And so, what would you say to them? I think, like I did, I think you know, even easier now in a way, opportunity to make your own films. Where, like I said, when I was young, it was on film, so it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a group of people possibly would have had to get together to put money into a pot to, to be able to shoot it. Eight millimeter wasn't so bad, but, you know, if you wanted to move on to 16 mil, it's a big deal. So, but now you can make your own pro- pro- product. You can shoot your own film quite easily. Obviously, a lot of the people are doing it. Like I said earlier, is trying to get those good films out of the noise. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of good stuff out there. There's also lots of not so good stuff yeah. so i think that's you know promoting your work obviously now um we didn't have social media and stuff like that so there's a lot of that goes on i think but is, is useful i think but um yeah i think you know making your own sh- shooting and stuff whether you want to meet up with an amateur director or something you know somebody who's also interested in directing producing you know you want to get sort of try and shoot their try and get in with them and shoot their films to start with. Uh, you may want to go to university uh, to do, you may want to go to film school. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that's you know, a major, if you can get your foot in the door and get uh, involved with sort of the skill set, the sort of training, BAFTA, uh, mentoring schemes, things like that. Sometimes mm. you can almost hop that. <laughs> uh, the university bit. In fact, I've had men- I've men- yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I mentored some. I'm a BAFTA member, and I mentored some guys, um, girls from uh, university. And one of them did the first month at university. Said, "Nick, I've done all this. You know, I've not been. I I know how to shoot. You know, I've loaded a camera. Or we're only doing sort of little video stuff. And you know, he managed to get work straight away as a sort of trainee." as a camera Mm. assistant so you know you've got to think i think because you guys have got think about the loans at the end of the day and you know when i was at uh, film school we were we had a grant we didn't yeah we didn't uh, we didn't have any money in the bank when we left but we didn't own anything we didn't owe any money you know there's no i think it's a big pressure for youngsters you know you've got that pressure of cash you know which we never had we were very, very, very lucky not to have, to, even our film stock was paid for by the college. Mm. So we never, we were paid almost to do it in our accommodation. We had grants and things like that. So that was, it's, it was halcyon days really, mm. you know, really from that point of view. But, um, but just getting back to what, I mean, probably you're interested in photography or arts, you know, you maybe go to galleries, you, I mean, that's great. Go along and just see how the old masters or, uh, you know, how they use light in paintings, stuff like that, uh, photography, uh, you know, movie making, um, uh, tenacity, because you have to just, a lot of people out there, like I said, and it's just, you know, fighting your way through in, in getting the foot in the door. But I mean, you've got to realise also, it's, I mean, I've had people come out on location, especially when I was doing skins, I think, a, they wanted to sort of have a bit of the skins thing, but they, you know they said, "Oh yeah, we're really interested in being a cinematographer." But actually, you know, they sort of I say, "Okay, well we start shooting. We on set at seven o'clock a.m. We shoot until I don't know. It could be seven at night. It could be ten at night. Mm. You know, yeah, that's so. If you turn up at ten a.m., sorry, but that's not. People did do that. So you know, you don't do that. You, I mean." Because there's a certain bit of madness for people to want to do this because tenacity, you have to be quite fit, absolutely determined to want to do it. Um, and uh, I think we are mad because, you know, people say, God, you know, you're working these hours. I mean, most people say go to work at nine and home by five. They've got an evening. <laughs> we don't have that when you're shooting. Yeah, you're not shooting... 365 days of the year because it doesn't work like that. You need to take on projects which we could be, that could be six months, uh, could be three months, but generally they're three to six months. Um, and it's could be seven days, six, seven days a week, though you're shooting maybe seven days, 
you might have, you know, on the, uh, sorry, shooting six days on the seventh day, you might have reckless to do. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to um, give everything up, give life up, really. It's worth it, I think, but, uh, mm. you know, it is long days. So you just have to be aware of that, um, you know, to start with, I think. You have to, you really have to want to do it. And I think if you really want to do it, you'll, you'll succeed. Um, but it's exciting once you do, obviously you've got creative, creative uh, spirit is number one, I guess, but you need all those other tenacity, fitness, stamina as well, uh, determination and madness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank so you good so luck much. To all those. Yeah, that's okay. No, thanks yeah. for Thank you so much. It's lovely chatting. Evening. A good shine to you okay. too. Uh, okay. Remember to follow us on OSVD. Nick, where can people follow you if they want to learn more about your work? Uh, good question. Actually. <laughs> but having said about social media, I'm not really. Uh, I'm sort of on Twitter, dance with Nick, mm. uh, but that's it. Uh, I guess it's sort of slightly generational thing. But I think you know, I've obviously got an agent who works for you as well. So uh, uh, I don't tend to do too much self-promotion mm. because I think what I'm doing on screen is self-promotion you know you people see your work yeah. so that's as good as anything else I think I don't feel I need to sort of yeah I might put a LinkedIn thing on or something you know uh, this series starts today or streaming today whatever it is but um, but um, it works just keep for itself all right yeah just keep a look mm-hmm. on IMDB see what's see what's next and things like that yeah so uh, well thank you so much and we'll you're see welcome you uh, next time goodbye thanks Luke bye-bye